0: For some of you, uh, you joined us last week on Easter, uh, Resurrection Sunday, or as some people like to say, never mind, uh, uh, Easter Sunday. Um, So if you missed last week, uh, we just had a great time celebrating and um, uh, just being uh, together. Uh, Obviously there was two services, but hopefully you caught some people. Um, I just wanted to share a couple of things with you. Um, if you are, if you've been to our church for a little while, and you want to kind of get a, a feel for kind of what it looks like to really kind of sink your teeth in to this place, uh, we do something called membership, and really what we mean by that is, um, it's kind of like ownership. Like I want to be invested in this place, and we have a meeting coming up, uh, actually at our house, um, and um, in a couple of weeks for lunch and. We'd love to have you there. It's about a 90-minute uh, meeting. Um, where we just kind of share kind of who we are as a church, um, kind of where we're going, um, and what it looks like to really invest in this place. So if you'd like to be a part of that, there's a connection card in your row. You can just say membership, give us uh, an email or whatever, and we'll give you all the details. So um, will you do me a favor? We're going to take our offering, and, um, and as that comes forward, if you're new... If you're not really kind of into that, that's fine. Just let it go by. Um, but this is just kind of a way we worship. And it's just a moment in our service where we can just thank God for the things he's given us. Now, one of the things that um, I just want to thank you for is the way that your, uh, your contributions really kind of what you do here actually goes further than here. And um, some of you know that we're a part of planting other churches all over the, the area in the city and uh, there are two churches that are starting. One is in Parker, um, and that, they get started here in about three weeks. Um, and another church that starts this fall is going to be up in Erie. And uh, we're really excited about that church as well. It's called Grace Place Erie. And so uh, part of your contributions to this place, we actually kind of give uh, ahead as well and help start new communities like this um, in other parts of Denver and, and the nation. So thank you for being a part of that. Will you pray with me? We're going to get started. God, uh, thank you for gathering us. And uh, the reality of a gathering like this is we come with different different um, backgrounds and thoughts, um, different hurts and uh, fears even today. Um, my guess is that many of us in this room are, are not really sure why we're here today. We're hurting, frustrated, um, wanting to hear from you, angry even at you, um, confused. I mean, even coming off oh, in the week of Easter and celebrating your resurrection, we we admit that There's kind of a what now. And so God, this morning as we dig into your final words to your disciples, will you um, pull us into that conversation? Will you give us the tools and the desire and uh, the framework to follow you? And so we lift these things up to you. Pray these things in your name. Amen. So, last week, um, we actually read a part of the passage of Scripture we're going to be doing the next four weeks. And it's what we typically call in the church world, the Great Commission. And I think sometimes it's gotten um, an interesting uh, spin that's been put on it. And what we're going to do is we're going to figure out what this whole idea is. God has a plan A. And there's really no plan B, even though we try to make a whole lot of other versions of the plan. We try to come up with different ways of doing plan A, and they're not plan A, they're plan B. And God doesn't have a plan B. And so really, if God is set in motion a plan for people who call themselves apprentices to Jesus, what does that look like? You know, we get confused sometimes. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact that the, we've been talking about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God is here, and Jesus calls us into that. Um, but the church, going to church, is not the kingdom of God. In fact, going to church isn't even God's plan A. We, uh, we confuse it quite a bit. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of dig in a little bit. I'm going to backtrack a little bit. We're going to be starting off in um, a passage of scripture, Matthew chapter 16. And I'm just going to warn you, uh, there's, there's some offensive parts to this message. I mean, there's, there's going to be some historical, really nerdy background stuff, um, but we're going to be talking about some things that are a little spicy. You guys with me? Because you don't seem like you're that awake. And so what I need from you is a little bit more something. All right. Wow. Okay. Uh, Maybe we need the lights up a little bit in the room. If someone could pop up, that would probably help you get a little bit more into this. Plus, I could see your face. And um, yeah, that. oh yes, now we're we're together. Now we're friends. All right, so Matthew chapter 16, I mean, it kind of goes back to this. Um, If you guys are familiar with sports analogies, I know you guys love those. Um, John Wooden, Vince Lombardi, both great coaches, Both of them, at the beginning of seasons, would uh, do some things just to remind their players of just the basics. Vince Lombardi would hold up a football and say, Gentlemen, this is a football. And it was just like, let's just start at square one. And John Wooden would actually show his players how to lace up their sneakers. Um, Those are just the basic, basic stuff. And so what I want to do is kind of backtrack a little bit. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, we're going to start. It goes like this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and now we're going to stop there. Uh, A lot of times what happens is is when we read scripture, we we just gloss over these places and we're just like, boring, right? Who cares where that is? Um, But this is really important. This is a, uh, a city, a Roman city, and uh, we have a little map for you. And I wish I had a laser pointer. Does anybody have one on them I could borrow? Nobody? I didn't think so. Those were like totally like 1995. Anyhow, so uh, we've got a map of Caesarea Philippi, maybe, shortly. And, and <laughs> it's okay, Mary. Just whenever you get it, I'll start talking about it. Um, and so there's, this, there's, a, there's the map, like if you could envision... Um, there's a lake called the Sea of Galilee. It's OK, whenever you got it. no, no rush. It's cool. Um, and, and right up on top of the lake, the Sea of Galilee, reinforcements are coming, Mary. Oh right, here we go. OK, so I described the lake. There it is, the Sea of Galilee. Um, and Capernaum and Bethsaida are right there. Can you guys see those? Uh, like four of you saw it. And then, um, and so there's another, there's another city in there called Chorazin, which is what I, I've taught you guys is called the Gospel Triangle. And most of Jesus' work and preaching happened there. In fact, we just talked about the Sermon on the Mount, right? And that happened right there um, in that region uh, of, of Galilee. Um, and then up, up there is Caesarea Philippi. Uh, and, and everybody saw, sees that, right? Okay, great. Man, we are, we are, we are together. Um, and then you see Mount Hermon. So what, what's interesting is about this. Jesus goes to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and this is the only time in Scripture it's recorded that Jesus goes here. Everywhere else he goes is in the Gospel Triangle or down towards Jerusalem. Okay? This is the only time he goes there. So it's not on the way to anywhere he normally goes. And that's really important because if if as we dig into what this area is, and this is where it gets super, super fun and super nerdy, so you need to hang with me for about ten minutes, okay. Um, Herod the Great built this city um, on rock and roll, and um actually he built it on this rock it's this huge mound, okay, this huge rock um and, and he built this for Caesar. He built this city for Caesar as, as kind of an ode to Augustus. Now his son took over Philip the Tetrarch. He took over rulership of this area. And so Philip, what he does is he, he builds it even more. But the, the, region, the city becomes known as Caesarea Philippi. Now, at the base of this city is a huge temple complex, okay? So picture um, a cliff structure, okay? A cliff, huge, like a plateau, kind of like a green mountain or table mountain. On top of it is a city, because usually you would build cities on top so you could see enemies coming and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So they built this city up there, and below um, there was a cave um, called the Gates of Hades. And the gates of Hades was a spot where a spring came out of. In fact, this was one of the three uh, uh, places where the Jordan River started. There was three different places that fed the Jordan River. One of them was this underground spring that came from Mount Hermon, or as they call it, Mount Hermon. I don't know. Whatever. And so snow and rain and stuff would hit Mount Hermon and it would go down into the bedrock and it would come out this spring right there at Caesarea Philippi. And and it was this big mouth opening. In fact, Josephus says the cave was endless. It was bottomless. Josephus was a scholar of the day. Because they they took, and and they've measured it since then, and it's over 800 feet deep. But but in those days, they just didn't have the wherewithal to measure that deep. So water would come out of this cave. Well, it was believed, anywhere there was a spring, there usually was, especially a big spring like this, there was a fertility cult of the time. So if you remember, if you're Old Testament-minded... This is the area of the Old Testament where the the city of Dan was. It's where Dan Ezvorka gets his name. And it's the northernmost part. It was the northernmost part of Israel, and then there was the southern city. And at each place, there was worship. And a lot of times, they they would veer off, the Israelites would. They would veer off and start worshiping other gods like Baal and Ashtoreth. And at this spot, this was one of the places they worshiped. And some believe it's because of this spring. In this spring, um, uh, tribal gods would, you know, Baal and Ashtoreth was worshipped for hundreds and thousands of years until Alexander the Great comes. And Alexander the Great comes. What does he do? He does something called Hellenization. And Hellenization is to take what other people believe and indoctrinate that into his culture. And so what would happen was is the tribal gods were, were replaced with the worship of a god named Pan, okay? Now, Pan was the fertility god of, of, of the Greeks. And this was um, the, the god of the shepherds and the flocks, and this was a half-man, half-goat god created. There were statues found, and what would happen was is every springtime there would be this huge festival, And this festival uh, to Pan, this worship of Pan, would would begin with um, the belief that Pan would come from the depths, would come from the underworld, would come from Hades. And, And Pan would come out. And in order to coax Pan out, there was goat sacrifices. There was a place actually for live goats and a place actually for the sacrifices. And they would actually even honor the dead goats and bury the dead goats. You're sitting here going, what are we talking about all this for? Just hang with me, okay? Trust me. Well, don't trust me, but trust somebody, but I'll get you there. So, so, so they would have this worship. They would try to coax Pan out from Hades, the underworld, for the f- fertility of the region, not only just for the agriculture of it, but also for flocks and herds and people. And so there would be this huge, huge gathering of people. And this is where it gets spicy, what would happen was, uh, in order to coax Pan out, there was this six foot tie, a six-foot-tall phallus that was carried through the region, okay? And there was a parade with a phallus. And I can't believe I said that at church, but I kind of said it last week. Anyway, so, um, so, so there's this... There's, okay, so here's the base of the rock, okay? Up on top of the hill is Caesarea Philippi. To the left, you see that structure? On the left, that is actually a temple for Augustus. The middle temple is for Zeus. And then the cave behind where Augustus is is that's the Grotto of Pan. That is where the spring comes out. The spring flowed underneath the floor of the Temple of Augustus. And people would gather here, and over here to the right is where the goats were sacrificed and all this stuff. And so this this event that would happen was um, uh, just a grotesque um, community, giant uh, orgy, if you will. Welcome to church. And goats and people, and uh, it was a frenzied, it was called Panic. Named after pan. It's where we get the word pandemonium. This is where this it would, it would incite fear um, in people who were not involved. And it was just this kind of, it meant to sound like a stampede, but there was uh, just sexual acts and depictions and things going on. It was just very perverse. Think Las Vegas, but really, really awful. And so Jesus shows up here. Jesus shows up here intentionally with his 11 disciples. And it's an interesting passage we're about to read because what I think you'll understand is a little bit more of what Jesus was up to. It goes like this. I mean, this is Jesus' field trip with his disciples. And um, I wanted to find a place In scripture, the first time where Jesus mentions the word church. And as I started reading this, I'm like, wow, there is so much going on. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? And you gotta love Peter. He just jumps in. You are the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. In the backdrop of this conversation is. This whole temple structure. Do you know what they called this temple structure? In that day, they called it the rock of the gods. I mean, it was a, it was a buffet of gods. I mean, it, obviously, in the spring, you would go to this place and you could, you could get, be a part of the whole Pan festival, but you could always go there to worship Caesar. You could always go there to worship uh, Zeus. And, and behind, uh, I don't know if you can see, between those two temples, there's little, like, kind of carvings in the wall. Those were nymphs, those were different gods that, that Pan would come and copulate with. And, and one of them was named um, Echo, the other one was named uh, Nemesis. Um, There was just a variety of gods that you could worship. And Peter's declaration is, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. As opposed to all of that, as opposed to all those pretender gods, you are the living God. Now, this is a structure, this is a place of worship that has been a place of worship, idol worship, worship. Uh, worship of other gods for thousands of years. And Jesus takes a group of 12 teenagers on a field trip. Imagine if we took a high school group to Vegas and did a little field trip. And he takes them there, and he says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the son of the living God. Jesus replied, "Blessed are you, Simon son of Jonah, for this is not this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my, my but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now listen up. Catholics say that that means that on Peter and this and the succession of the apostles that we are gonna that God wants to build the church. Protestants say no, it's on Peter's confession." Of Jesus being Messiah and Son of the living God. That's how, that's what I'm going to build my church on. And there's some truth in that. But I find it kind of interesting. This is, this is, I mean, you got the Catholics, then you got the Protestants, and then you got, then you got me. And and I find it interesting that Jesus is standing in front of the rock of the gods and he's saying, On this rock, I'm going to build my church. I just find that. Totally amazing. And you might say, well, that's kind of a reach. And you might not believe me. Well, listen to this next line. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And so you have this place called the gates of Hades. And you have this place called the rock of the gods. And you have Jesus showing up there one time. He doesn't mention this any other place in all of his teaching. And he says this On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And it's somewhere in this beautiful image and metaphor that I think we need to really begin to think about what it means to be the church. Because the church has become something else in a lot of places. And think about the significance of this. Jesus shows up with these 12 teenagers and he says, you're going to overcome this. You are going to conquer this. Thousands of years of worship have happened here to other gods and to um, other forms of worship. And and you're not going to go back to your quiet fishing village. You're actually going to plant uh, my church and build my church here. And I think it's interesting, like the whole idea of gates. Gates are, are they, are they offensive or defensive? They're defensive, right? So no one says, charge them with the gates, right? It's just like weird, right? So if they're defensive, it means that somewhere in this equation, Jesus is actually telling his disciples that the church will be offensive. That, the gates won't be able to handle what's about to happen. That, and we've talked about this before, that there's this mindset in Jesus, there's this metaphor in Jesus that talks about plundering the strong man. Do you remember that? Plundering the strong man, that the strong man has, has got this culture and got our world, um, and, and, and part of the effort of, of the church is to plunder the strong man's hold. So 12 teenagers, he says, you 12 teenagers with my spirit, you're going to overcome that. In verse 19, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. It was still a little secret covert operation. This idea is we pray that when Jesus says that this is how you pray, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is this idea that he's saying right here. So, what are the implications of this as we kind of talk about plan A? First one is is the church supposed to be kind of a refuge? Yes, it is. But it's also, according to Jesus, kind of like a staging area for invasion into our culture, right? It's kind of like this way we gather and we take notes and we remind ourselves of what this is all about. And, and at the same time, it's, it's not supposed to be a place where we generate warm, fuzzy feelings. It's not supposed to be a place where you, um, you, you feel better about yourself and you feel better. You just try to, to make yourself feel better. Um, The image that Jesus is giving here is that you're supposed to go to the most pagan place on earth and build my church. And I think that, you know, it's interesting because now, today, it's like a big pile of rocks. It's like a tourist trap. It's like that's what it is. No one is singing songs to Pan, no one is singing songs to Augustus. Um, And then You know, in a second, we're going to talk about what Jesus does. He gives these teenagers uh, a plan A and um, and, and just shows them kind of what it looks like. And the invisible kingdom that Jesus is talking about that's going to conquer the kingdom of this world. Let me ask you this. Will it be done with uh, political activism? No. Catchy bumper stickers. (laughs) Uh, will it be done with good works? the The idea behind what Jesus is saying, I mean, and we've talked about this over the last number of years, uh, uh, weeks with the Sermon on the Mount. Well, and years, but sacrificial love, prayer, mercy, forgiveness, generosity, foot washing, baptism, the Eucharist, cloak giving—these are the weapons. These are the things that Jesus uses. These are the tools he gives his disciples. And he says, this is how it's going to go. And evidently, those tools are powerful enough to take down something like that. And the problem is is that no one believes that. You and I really don't believe that. We, uh, We say we believe it, but we really don't act like it. I mean, right now in our world, there's the high, it's just high with racial tension in our nation. Huge political division. North Korea, the Russians, terrorism. A culture that it just feeds on fear. And what would happen if, say, I don't know, 11 teenagers, because it got, it got whittled down, actually believed that the work of the kingdom of God was not dependent on what Caesar was in power or what president was in office or what, supreme, or what the Supreme Court ruled on what the family looked like? What if a whole group of people believed that this thing was unstoppable? Like, if... It's a subtle and quiet and invisible but indestructible movement. So Jesus, fast forward, Jesus you know, comes, comes and is resurrected. And then he has this conversation with his disciples. And we read a little bit about it last week, but I'm going to just pick it up here in Matthew 28, just to set up the next three weeks. It says this, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. who has all authority and power, and his presence is with his disciples, plan A is go and make more of them. Go and make more apprentices. Go and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and and teach them to obey everything. That's all that stuff we just talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, which is enemy love and non-anxious living and being generous and forgiving people and being salt and giving people a cloak and all of those things. And so what plan B tends to be, if you've been around church much, plan B tends to be learn a bunch about the Bible. We talked about how learning more is not discipleship. Learning more is not being an apprentice. Size people up morally. Grow church Attendance. Leave the work of all of this to paid professionals. Attend, but don't be an apprentice. Just show up. Retreat to the suburbs. That's all plan B stuff. When did plan A become plan B? You know, the best way to kill the church is to make it the state religion. If you've ever seen history... You're a red history. The best way to kill this movement is to make it the state religion. The best way to grow it is to make it, to persecute it. And I'm I'm hoping that starts more. Because I'm wondering what it would look like. See, the image here of Jesus with the rock of the gods and the disciples. I mean, can you imagine being one of the disciples and be like, so, uh, Jesus, where are we going? We're going to head up to Caesarea Philippi. You and me hear that word and we're like, that sounds like a cool little trip. They hear that word and they're like, "Um, that's like that's like the place we don't speak of. That's worse than we've talked about the Decapolis. This is like the place that, and so they're like, okay, and so they follow him, and and this image of him saying, who do you say I am, at the backdrop of this rock of the gods, and there's hundreds of thousands of people coming through here and, and checking this whole thing out, and Jesus says, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? See, seriously, does anybody read the book of Acts and say, man, that's just like restoration, I'm just being honest. I mean, if you haven't read the book of Acts, I would, I would do it this week. Read the book of Acts and then ask yourself, does that sound like my church? Does that sound like me? I mean, these aren't just stories. They're not just like... I mean, these are guys that were like getting beat within the inch of, an inch of their life. If they said, if they proclaimed the name or proclaim Jesus as Lord. And they're just like, do what you have to do. They were in prison. They were on the run. They had to meet in secret. They were kind of subverting culture everywhere they went. Economically, religiously, everywhere they went, they were pushing against culture. And not like jerks. Just out of huge love for the fact that Jesus is Lord and he's got this way, he's the son of the living God. I run into people all the time and I see these articles all the time and, and why people aren't going to church anymore. Well, to be honest with you, I don't blame them. I mean, There's just like, the, it, some of this has become just like such Jesus-y, TED Talk, fog machine things that like it doesn't, what does it mean, Right? And I think there's some frustration. I hear this from people all the time. And they're like, well, I don't want to say it because you're in the room. But I'm like, man, I, I feel your frustration too. Like, what would this look like? Like, in if you read the book of Acts, the church was unstoppable. In America, it's just another thing that on the list of being consumeristic, right? It's just another thing you can go to. How do you stop the church in America? Well, you change the service time, right? I mean, it's just like. That's that's kind of what happens. So our hope is, here's our hope. That over the next few weeks like like for all of us, like the cost of spectating, okay, would increase a little bit. Like like the cost of just just attending or just poking our heads in or whatever, it just kind of increased. Jesus is not impressed with a full room. He's not impressed with rock and worship. He's looking for hearts that are fully open. Fully open. So men and women, I wonder what it would look like for the community of people, for, for a community of people to look for the gates of hell in our world and do Jesus' work right there. I'm not talking soapbox, placard board people. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just engaging our world, loving our world, sacrificing intentionally for the people in our world in such a way that the church is built. See, this right here this is a staging area where, yes, we take notes, that we gather, we, the focus is, is not so much on this, but it's a reminder. We talk about this being a staff meeting, right? That's what this is. And um, that's not going to change. You might feel more comfortable in a place that that's not the agenda. And I'm okay with that. Like I'm, to, like, I'm. I throw up in my mouth more than you believe when it comes to how church is done. <laughs> I'm just got to be honest with you. And so, if that's not your thing, that's okay. Like, if this is not your thing, that's okay. Because I don't know. I do not know anyone that wants to be part of spiritual business like this, the business of church. Like, I don't know people that are like, man, that's so exciting. What I've come to believe is that I know a lot more people that just want to be part of a, more of a revolution than the business of church. Right? I mean, that's what this is. That's what this image is of Jesus. Standing in front of the rock of the gods and saying, on this rock, you will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So what we're going to do is we're going to come to the table. And we're going to come to the table and if this image of the gathering of Jesus' people, his disciples, his apprentices around the table for the first time. And his first instructions were to remember his blood spilled and his body broken. And that that is what fuels the people of God in the world. That is what fuels the mission of God in the world. See, over the next three weeks, we're going to be helping you redefine the word church. God's plan A in the world is the people of God. Not church institutions. Not programs. But you and me, figuring out what it looks like to live as apprentices of Jesus Monday morning, Thursday afternoon, Friday night, at your job, Doing your taxes, driving the kids to school, meeting your neighbor, praying with someone who's sick, figuring out your finances, all of that is apprenticing Jesus. And so we come to the table to remind ourselves and to re-enlist. Let me pray. Heavenly